This is podcast number 19 in our series of podcasts where we're trying to understand the mind of Paul, which is a bit of a challenge because we are brought up in the Greek Western way of thinking, and we have to change our way of thinking to understand Paul. In this podcast, I will present the result of my search of Scripture and the dual nature of the inheritance which I find embedded in the narrative. Only those sons who submit to God in the worship of service, will inherit the birthright to which all firstborn sons are entitled by the position of their birth. So all the children of Israel are born to the birthright, but then they have to prove that they are worthy to assume this leadership role in order to actually inherit the birthright. When the loss of the birthright occurs for unworthy behavior, This special inheritance of the birthright then passes to another son whom God finds worthy to assume this position of leadership. However, and this is a big however, I really want to emphasize this. All the sons still receive an inheritance, although not all receive the inheritance of the birthright. So much of Christian tradition thinks, you know, that Jews are not saved unless they believe in Yeshua. That's not true at all. The Hebrew scriptures are showing that all Jews have an inheritance. Paul initiated our curiosity when he employed two ancient literary devices to startle the reader and draw attention to key concepts in the Hebrew scriptures. So all the children of Israel are born to the birthright as God's firstborn son, for God declares in Exodus 4.22, Israel is my son, my firstborn, meaning all the people of Israel. The Hebrew scriptures then portray the birthright of the firstborn son as bestowing not only a double portion of inheritance, but also a special blessing, the position and authority of lordship, and procreative power. So the inheritance of the birthright, which is distinct from the inheritance bestowed on all the other members of the family, requires obedience to the Mosaic law and faithful service to God as preparation for the responsibility of leadership. Their narrative portrays individuals losing the birthright for their failure to uphold these requirements. Yet the one who loses the birthright does not lose his status as a son and still receives an inheritance, although it is not the inheritance of the birthright. So this podcast will investigate the birthright of inheritance to which the children of Israel have been born as God's firstborn son. In the Exodus narrative, before the final devastating plague when all the firstborn sons of Egypt died, this is how God instructed Moses. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And remember, the firstborn is entitled to the birthright of the the inheritance of the birthright. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And that's absolutely critical because the firstborn who is entitled to that position of leadership is one who has submitted in service to God. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, the son of the Pharaoh, the firstborn son of the Pharaoh. If all the children of Israel have been born to the birthright, we must now ask, how does the Hebrew narrative portray 
the nature of that inheritance. They've all been born to the birthright, but they're not all going to inherit it because they have to prove themselves worthy. But what I want to do now is I want to take a look at the nature of the inheritance of the birthright. And in particular, we ask, why did certain individuals lose the inheritance of the birthright? In the biblical narrative, the birthright belonged to the firstborn son simply by position of birth. For example, in Genesis 43:33, the brothers of Joseph sat before him from the eldest to the youngest, with the eldest described as the firstborn according to his birthright. Furthermore, in the case of twins, the first to emerge from his mother's womb was the firstborn. This is evident with Esau, the twin who was born before Jacob. You know, and, and of course, he sold his birthright to his to his younger twin brother. And then we also see it uh, with Zerah, the first of twins born to Judah and Tamar. The birthright entitled the firstborn to inherit a greater share of his father's land and possessions than the remaining heirs. The most common understanding of this greater part in the Jewish literature is a double portion, which is twice the amount that each of the other sons received. Now you will need to understand that the firstborn son was consecrated as holy for service to God. This was actually a ceremony that was performed for the firstborn son. He was consecrated or made holy because he was the one who was going to serve the Lord God as the leader of God's people. Second, these holy firstborn sons need a special ongoing redemption. So the Hebrew scriptures portray this ongoing need for redemption of the firstborn son, and I think this is important because scripture is always saying, you know, first we're made righteous and holy when we first come to God, and then God pats us on the back and we have to, you know, learn how to walk in the world. So the fact that there's an ongoing need for redemption of the firstborn son, I think, is part of this ongoing need to serve and to overcome the ways of the world in service. The initial redemption in Egypt occurred after the placement of blood from a sacrificial animal on the doorpost, but the need for continuing redemption also involved animal sacrifice in ancient Israel. So there is a parallel between the first redemption from death through the blood of the lamb over the door in Egypt and an ongoing need for redemption from death as the firstborn walked through his life in service and learning and growing in his ability to overcome obstacles. The text explains the need for continuing redemption in Exodus 13, verses 14 to 15. And we read, When in the future your child asks you, What does this mean? You shall answer, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human firstborn to the firstborn of animals. Therefore, and here's the point I want to make, I sacrifice to the Lord every male that first opens the womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. You know, it's interesting because I have found that the narrative, the story in the Hebrew scriptures is very often prophetic. It's very easy to see it with the blood of the lamb, and then that was prophetic of the coming of Yeshua, the blood of the lamb, Yeshua on the cross. 
but we can see a lot of prophecy in the actual stories in the in the Old Testament, and that's I think what we've just seen is that the the firstborn um, is consecrated holy, and that was actually done on on the sixth day I believe of the child's life. He was first consecrated on holy for service, and then there was an ongoing need to redeem him because of the ongoing walk to continue uh, growing in your ability for service to God. What I want to do now is I want to address the specific benefits and responsibilities of the firstborn. This is very important because, you know, this whole concept of the firstborn comes into uh, Christianity and into the New Testament. I am a Gentile. I am a Gentile believer in Christ who has been added to the to the household of God by my faith in Yeshua. I was not born to the birthright like Jews are born to the birthright. Jews are born to the birthright, but they have to show that they're worthy of the leadership role. I'm not born to the birthright, but I can grow into the leadership role, and God will determine, you know, of course, who's worthy and who's not worthy. And uh, if I grow into that leadership role, that is, in fact, the remnant. That's God's selection of a remnant. So let's look at the specific benefits and responsibilities of those who have this inherent leadership inheritance of the birthright. The firstborn received four additional benefits and responsibilities in addition to the double portion of his father's estate. A special blessing the office of high priest of his clan or tribe, a position of authority and leadership, which we've already seen, and procreative vigor. He's going to have a lot of descendants. These attributes are associated with responsibilities of leadership. So let's take a look at the four of them. The first one is the special blessing. The special blessing acknowledged both current and future benefits. We find two examples in Jacob's blessing of his 12 sons. The blessings of both Joseph and Judah contain attributes of the birthright. It is apparent not only from Jacob's blessings of his sons, but also from the narrative that all the other sons, not just Joseph and Judah, but all the other 10 sons received blessings, but they were lesser blessings. They did not have characteristics of the birthright. They were still blessings, but lesser blessings. And now we have Esau. Esau received a blessing even after he sold his birthright to Jacob. It was a lesser blessing, but he still got a blessing. And then Jacob bestowed Manasseh's birthright on Ephraim, but gave Manasseh a blessing. Those were the two sons of Joseph. So the birthright did not go to the firstborn. The birthright actually went to the secondborn. Even Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob, whose birthright was given to Joseph, and we see that in 1 Chronicles 5.1, Even Reuben received a blessing. However, a special blessing was reserved for the son that ended up with a birthright. As Esau declared when he cried to his father, Jacob took away my birthright, and look, now he's taken away my blessing. Okay, the second special benefit and responsibility is that of high priest. So in addition to a special blessing and a double portion of land and possessions, the firstborn served as the high priest of his clan. Regarding this priestly office, the Jewish sages later commented on Exodus 24.5, understanding, and here's what 24.5 says, young men of the people of Israel. That's the phrase that's used in Exodus 24.5. Young men of the people of Israel. 
and they understood this to be firstborn sons, leaders of their clans and tribes. We read that uh, Moses sent young men of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. So that the scribes are taking this passage in Exodus 24, 5 that talks about the Na'arib Bnei Yisrael, the young people of Israel. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. So from this passage, the Jewish sages concluded that the firstborn sons were the ones who performed sacrificial service. And this continued until the construction of the tabernacle and the substitution of the Levites as the priestly class. However, firstborn sons apparently lost this right and privilege to offer sacrifices to the Lord was because of the incident of the golden calf. So originally, the firstborn served the role as high priest. And I think that's prophetic because we're going to go into, you know, the millennial kingdom and following. And and what's the role of the high priest? And that was originally part of the uh, responsibility of the firstborn. But the firstborn sons apparently lost this right and privilege because of the, the golden calf. Ancient commentators ask, these are Jewish commentators, who caused the firstborn to forfeit this glory, this glory of, of serving, you know, as the high priest? They gave as an explanation the worship of the golden calf and concluded that the firstborn sons are found in fetters, that's coming from the Jewish literature, because they are prohibited from offering to the Lord anything prepared by fire, undoubtedly meaning sacrifices to the Lord. Now, I'm going to read to you a comment by a Jewish scholar, Louis Ginsburg, comments on the firstborn's loss of the priestly office. He says, for God elevates no man to an office unless he has tried him and found him worthy of his calling. He did not say, and the Levi shall be mine, before he had tried this tribe and found them worthy. And I think this is so important for us to stand, understand, because as a, as a Gentile believer in Christ, I am walking into the possible role of hopefully inheriting the birthright, which means I will be part of the remnant. And in order to do that, God is trying me. He's He's putting obstacles in my path, but it's a loving thing to do because I'm learning how to overcome them. And as, as I learn how to overcome them, I'm, I'm becoming more and more mature in my understanding of the word and in my service to God and, you know, to be humble before my Lord Yeshua to serve in his service. So I, I think the concept of trying us is a very important one because it helps us overcome. And as we do, we we overcome sins in our lives uh, to become more and more righteous in the eyes of God. So the firstborn sons of Israel lost their priestly position and functions, and the Levites assumed the firstborn's responsibility to offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of others. And I do think this is an important concept for us to understand. So we go now to the third responsibility, and that is the position of authority and leadership, which I've already mentioned, but I just want to go into it a little more deeply here. 
During his father's lifetime, the firstborn apparently exercised some authority over his brothers as the narrative of Reuben conveys. When the other brothers wanted to kill Joseph, Reuben, who was the firstborn, his decision for life was decisive. So he's taking that leadership role. Now, he's later going to lose it, but right now he's showing leadership qualities. Furthermore, upon the death of his father, the firstborn became the next leader of his clan or tribe, which made his elevation to this authority position part of his inheritance. So this is important. We're asking, you know, what's the inheritance? And the inheritance that we have to look forward to as believers in Christ is possibly being worthy to inherit the birthright and those people who do are identified as a remnant. Now, I'm going to quote from another author who explains The purpose of primogenitor was the systematic and orderly transference of social, legal, and religious authority within the family structure. The firstborn male was made the principal heir, heir means inheritance, and was given a sizable portion of the estate because it was he who was to perpetuate the family name and lineage and who was to bear the chief burden for the continuance and welfare of the family. And Beitzel, who was the author, finds this was characteristic throughout the ancient Near East, but of course Israel went beyond that, which we'll see in just a minute. Because the Hebrew narrative portrays this concept of responsibility and lordship. For example, when Joseph became viceroy of Egypt, he fulfilled an earlier prophecy. Joseph had dreamed that his sheaf of grain was standing upright, while those of his brothers were bowing down to his sheaf. His brothers responded rhetorically with indignation, Are you indeed to have dominion over us? And of course, the answer was yes. But this, again, is a story that is prophetic of something far more powerful than the story. So go back and read all the stories in the Hebrew Scriptures and just know that they are a lot more than a story. Another example is Jacob, who inherited the blessing of the birthright and the position of authority, even though he was the younger son. This understanding of leadership becomes clear through Isaac's words, that's his father, to his firstborn son Esau. Esau was the firstborn of the twins, when Isaac described Jacob's special blessing. I have already made Jacob your Lord and have given him all his brothers as servants. So leadership is a position of authority which would cause Esau and his descendants to become servants of Jacob after Isaac's death. This is all prophetic. This is all meaningful. It's a whole lot more than a story. Now let's look at the last benefit and responsibility, which is that procreative power. Finally, in this position of leadership and authority, which required humble obedience to God and righteous behavior, the firstborn son increased the strength of his tribe through procreation of righteous seed. And I think that's really critical. And again, we look prophetically toward the future. The ones who will be in the remnant will be producing seed, which are descendants, since they're righteous, their seed is going to be righteous. And that's going to be producing a very powerful army made of those who are righteous and humble and serving under the leadership of Yeshua, their commander. In this way, he could lead an obedient and righteous army to claim his inheritance by conquering the land that had been promised to him. Jacob's blessing of Reuben, who was born to the birthright, which he subsequently lost, includes this attribute of the birthright. And so in the early part of Reuben's life, the blessing 
my might and the first fruits of my vigor. Now, the, the word vigor in Hebrew is own, and one of the authors notes that own conveys primarily the vigor that results from a man's procreative power, and he further explains, the man with such strength is able to acquire property as the result or consequence of forceful action because he's getting a lot of descendants, right? So, this strength of righteous procreative power for the purpose of conquest is a meaningful concept in Scripture, apparently related to the blessing of abundant seed. And who got that blessing? It was the ones who were worthy to inherit the birthright. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, they've, we can see in Scripture that they're worthy to inherit the birthright. And they are the ones who receive that prophecy of abundant seed. So to summarize, the firstborn son was entitled to his birthright by virtue of the position of his birth, which entitled him to a duffel portion of his father's land and possessions. The birthright bestowed four additional benefits and responsibilities. First was a special blessing that was greater than the blessings of his brothers. Second was the office of high priest to his family, clan, or tribe. Third was a leadership position of authority over his clan, and that's probably the most important one. And if you don't remember anything else, remember that the one who inherits the birthright has a leadership role, and those who inherit the birthright are going to be the remnant. Finally, the son with the birthright was endowed with procreative power to strengthen his clan or tribe for the purpose of conquest. These birthright benefits are attributes of leadership. In the prophetic passages, they point to a future role of service to God and his people. So I'm going to end the podcast here, but I think it's just so important for you to understand this inheritance of the birthright, because those who are worthy to inherit that birthright, will be the remnant. And we clearly see a remnant coming out of Israel. I mean, everything I've done so far is showing that there are all the children of Israel are born to the birthright, but only those who are worthy will inherit the birthright. There will be a remnant out of Israel. And then if you go into the New Testament, you will see that Yeshua is the only one who's been born to the birthright. And those of us who are not Jews, who are not born to the birthright, can grow into an ability to be worthy of the birthright to join Yeshua when he returns. And when he returns, it will be with a remnant of Israel and a remnant from Gentile believers in Christ bonded together to be the remnant that will enter the um, Great Tribulation. And that's sort of the next part of what will, of God's plan. So with that, I uh, wish you shalom, but I will be with you in the next podcast.